Well, today we are starting a brand new series entitled Mind Your P's and Q's. Mind your P's and Q's. I'm curious, how many people have heard that phrase before in our campuses, mind your P's and Q's? For some of you, if you're a little younger, you may not be familiar with that phrase. It's been around for a long time. In fact, the question is, where does that phrase come from? To mind your P's and Q's. Well, there's some debate and some discussion. I uh, actually enjoy leaning into conversations on etymology. Etymology is the origination of phrases and words and where they come from. The term of the phrase, to mind your P's and Q's, is kind of interesting. There's a debate where it originated and where it comes from. Some people say that it started in the classroom several hundred years ago as teachers taught students the English alphabet. If they were writing whether the line would go to the left of the circle, to the right of the circle, below the line or above the line would determine whether it's a B, a D, a P, or a Q. And so teachers would challenge their students, hey, mind your P's and Q's, which meant be careful writing out the alphabet. Make sure you get it correct. So some people go with the teacher theory. But it's interesting. Some people say that it goes all the way back to the 17th century in English pubs that the bartender would need to track the amount of alcohol their patrons would drink, whether they were drinking pints, pints or quarts. So to mind your P's or Q's would mean like, hey, be careful how much you're drinking because you've got to pay for the pint or the quart basic. He said, well, pastor, which is it? And I'll let you pick. If you're Baptist, you can go with the teacher thing. And if you're Methodist, you can go with the bartender thing. And just let you pick. Mind your P's and your Q's. At the end of the day, here's really what it means. To mind your P's or Q's means the point is to pay attention to mind what matters, to be careful, to pay attention to the details of your life, to mind your P's and Q's. And let me tell you why that's important as we launch into this series. What we're going to talk about for the next several weeks are I, these ideas. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the, uh, the plan of God. We're going to talk about the purpose of God. We're going to talk about the people of God. We're going to talk about the promises of God. I've worked hard on these. Y'all don't seem to be appreciating what, what's happening up here, the synergy that's vibing. So we talk about these, really what they encapsulate is this idea as a church, we have formed ourselves around and we drive towards four core values. And these core values aren't just our values. We didn't just pick them out of the air. They really come from these ideas of the plan of God, the purpose of God, the promises of God, the people of God, like who he is and what he's about. And as a church, we believe that if we will get behind what God is doing, that that's where we find success, that's where we find meaning, and that's where we bring glory to God. Now, I can just tell you in our four core values, this is what they are, reach, connect, grow, and serve. Now, I can just tell you that we don't always do these great. In fact, some of these we struggle sometimes to do. But at the end of the day, as a church, I want you to know that these are our bullseye. These are the things we're aiming for. These are the things we're, we're praying about. These are the things that we're financing because we believe that as we move forward, that as a church, as we reach people who are far from God, as we make sure people know who Jesus is and what he's done, not just here at home, but around the world, as we connect to understand that we don't have to do life alone, that people are with us and people are for us in a very sometimes discouraging world. Sometimes you can have people in your corner that have your back, that have the same values that you have, that we can grow in our spiritual journey, that we're not stagnant, but we're moving forward. And at the end of the day, we serve that we find that God created us with a plan and a purpose and God wants to use you and God wants to use your life to make a difference in the world you live. We believe that for a church that's reaching, connecting, growing, and serving, that we are moving forward the mission of God on planet earth. And I want to know about you, but in 2022, I want to do that better than we've ever done it. I want to do it better in Lawrenceburg. I want to do it better in Shoals. I want to do it better in Florence and around the world. How many people for that? 
So as we lean into this conversation, again, the goal is for us to mind our spiritual P's and Q's, to evaluate where we are and to be challenged to maybe do what matters most better in 2022. Now, as we do this, I want to look into a section of Scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at this same section of Scripture. It's going to be kind of our primary text throughout this series. We'll look at some other things. but So as we get ready to lean into this, let me just give you some background about what we're, to, what we're about to read. So the letters in the New Testament, the epistles, most of the New Testament are letters that church leaders wrote to area or citywide churches to help them grow, to help them be corrected where they believe things that weren't right, quite right, to be encouraged as they face challenges. So the goal of the epistles was to challenge, to encourage, to rebuke, and to teach. And we're going to lean into one, and it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city at Corinth. Now, He's dealing with a problem that here we are, unfortunately, 2,000 years later, we're still, we're still dealing with. And it's the deal of cliques. How many people have experienced that sometimes there are cliques in this world and unfortunately cliques in church wave at me? How many people know just the church is unfortunately sometimes kind of cliquish? Not this church, every other church. I just want to tell you this. I mean this with all of my heart. If you've ever experienced a click at any church, especially this church, man, it's my heart to say, man, we apologize. I just want to challenge you. If this is your home and this is your place, we need to do better that no matter what person walks through those doors, what they look like, what they act like, what they talk like, the color of their skin, the money in their bank, the car they drive, the clothes they wear, what they look like, their height, how short, how fat, how skinny, how bald. Every single person is made in the image of God. They're valuable to God, and we want to love each other. Come on, somebody. So let's make sure every single week that we just don't walk in, sit down and leave, but let's talk to each other. Let's make some relationships. We can't be friends with everybody, but we can be friends with somebody. Let's make connections with people. Amen. Clicks. Clicks are a big deal. It's funny. Even today, I've been doing church, been a Christ follower for a long time now. And as a pastor, I've experienced this on such a funny level. It's funny to me because as church people, sometimes we get clickish in this way. We get clickish about the church we go to. Right, and we get this air of arrogance. Will I go to faith church? Will I go to Church of the Highlands? Will me, I go to chapel or I go to Mars Hill? And it's like this funny competition thing. And what's crazy to me is, you know, I've, I love as I move around the community and get to talk to people. One of the funniest things that happens is one or two, when I see people that either no longer go to faith church or they haven't been to church in a while. When I see somebody out in the public and I've not seen them in church for a long time, like four or six months, and I'll see them like, hey, man, I've really missed you. It's funny because people will say things like this, oh, I've had the flu. <laughs> now, I don't say anything in the moment, but I walk and I think, if you've had the flu for six months, you're dying. You probably need to be in church quick. But to me, the funny thing is, and this is crazy, and this happens, and some of you have experienced this, and some of you have been a part of this. Have you ever moved churches, and when you move churches, you see people from your old church, and now they don't talk to you? Isn't that the craziest thing? I'm just telling you, I, I experience this on the regular. People will come to this church, and when they come here, I'm the cat's meow and the bee's knees. Pastor, you're so, oh, pastor, we love you. Man, you're such a great communicator. Man, that message yesterday, woo, that was good. There was a guy that used to go here, super nice guy, and I would see him uh, almost every day. In this, we worked out in the same gym, and if I'd see him on Monday, pastor, woo. 
That message, man, that was good. I told everybody they need to tune in. And then for whatever reason, he decided to go to another church. And it's cool. If you don't love it here, go to a church you love. Because if you're at a church you love, you'll want to be there. You'll want to support it. And you'll want to take your friends to it. So find a church you love. And if this isn't it, we love you. But at the end of the day, we can still be friends. And we still belong to the same Jesus. And we're going to spend eternity in the same heaven. But this dude quit coming to church here. And for whatever reason, like the dude wouldn't even look at me in the gym. (laughs) It's foolishness, and it's this attitude and this issue of cliques. Now, what we're about to read is what was happening in the city of Corinth is people started picking sides. People started building cliques, and they built cliques around their favorite pastor. And typically, they would lean towards the pastor that led them to Jesus, the pastor that preached to them the gospel and the good news of who Jesus was. And so this conversation started to evolve that some people said, I'm I'm team Paul. And other people said, no, I'm I'm team Apollos, this this other teacher in the New Testament. And so Paul writes and challenges and says, hey, there's nothing wrong with being team Paul or team Apollos, but at the end of the day, we're team Jesus. There's nothing wrong with Faith Church or Church of the Highlands or Mars Hill or Church of Christ. At the end of the day, it's not about the small C. We're a part of the global movement of God that he's doing on planet Earth. We are a part of the church. Come on, somebody. So what he's saying is, mind your P's and Q's. Get back to the details of what matters. And here's what he says. Let's read all of this together. Every voice, all of our campuses, Lawrenceburg, Shoals, Florence, let's read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9 says this. After all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, come on, read that word with me together, work together with with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their, say it, hard work, for we are both God's workers and you are God's field and you are God's building. Now I want you to notice what the theme of this section of scripture is. The theme that runs through this conversation that Paul has isn't just dealing with clicks, but he brings us around this common theme of work. Notice he says two times the word work. One time he says hard work. Another time he says that we're God's workers. The theme in the whole section of scripture is this idea of of working in a field or working plowing ground and planting seed and getting a harvest ready. This whole idea is work. I'm just curious, how many people remember your very first job, like your first paycheck job? Tell the person next to you real quick. Just tell them what your first job was real quick. Just tell them. What, what was the first, what was your first job? Your first job. My first job, my very first real paycheck job, I had a lot of side hustles as a kid, but my first paycheck job was I worked at uh, Barber Elementary School, and the job was, we, we, I grew up in the north. Most of you guys know that. In the north, it snows in the winter. If you grew up here in the south, you don't love Jesus enough, and you don't appreciate what he did to plant you here, that you don't ever have to, you don't ever, snow, snowmageddon here in the south is a joke. We talk about snow coming, but it never really shows up. In the north, you wake up, every day there's snow. Every day you got to shovel snow. Every day you got to wipe snow off your car. You got to scrape ice off your glass. You got to let your car run 20 minutes before. And then you just look out at like one little spot that's thawed out. <laughs> Hope you don't kill anybody on the road. That's just a daily ritual in the north. Now, listen, this, I'm just telling you, my very first job was in sixth grade. 
the school janitor, Mr. Lee, he recruited about 10 other sixth graders. And our job was when it would snow overnight, he would contact us and we would have to show up at school at 6 a.m. in the morning. And it was our job to clear all of the walks of the snow for the teachers and students. And we got paid a whopping $1.50 an hour. Now, some of you say, you're old, Pastor. What does that mean? In context, at that time, it was about half of what minimum wage was. Now, I'm going to pat myself on the back because I don't know many, of 11, I don't know many 11-year-olds today that will get out, of bed at six, eight, get out of bed at 5 to be on the job in the cold shoveling snow at 6 for $4 an hour. But I'm just telling you, I was popping Benji's and counting fat stacks as a kid. I was popping off them George Washingtons. Come on. That's why they have child labor laws now, by the way. When you force a kid to shovel snow at 6 a.m., you deserve to go to jail. That's all I'm saying. But that was my first job. Now, here's what you need to know. I did that job. I, I didn't care about, I didn't care about the, the walks being clear. I didn't care about the teachers walking on clean sidewalks of the students. You know why I did it? For the money. The reason a lot of you work is because you do it for the paycheck. And there's nothing wrong with doing things for a paycheck. But, but the goal in life, and this would be my challenge for all of us who are hearing this, our goal in life isn't just to get a paycheck. The goal of our life is to find a purpose, to find a passion. And if you can find a place where you're executing your passion and you're getting paid for it, I'm just telling you, you're doing something good. I get paid well to be the lead pastor of this church, to run this organization, but I want you to know what gets me out of bed, what cranks my tractor, what causes me to keep pushing us to the next level. Isn't the paycheck I get. It's the passion I have to see God show up in this house and to change lives week after week after week and help us reach the globe for Jesus. So, so you have jobs. I have a job. Did you know that God has a job? God has a job. God does work. In fact, here's what Jesus said in John. He said this. Everybody read this together. He said, my father is always working. And Jesus said, you know what? So am I. Think about this. God doesn't need a paycheck, so he's not doing it to get a paycheck. The reason God has a job is because he has a, he has a passion. And his passion is this. Here's what God's job is. God's business is brokenness. God's business is brokenness. What that means is, is God is concerned and God is working to heal the broken hearts of humanity. God is working in his plan of redemption to take a broken humanity in our sin, in our struggle, in our hurt, in our division, in our racism, in our covetousness, in our pride, in our arrogance, in our arguing, in our division, in all the stuff that has messed us up corporately and as individuals, Jesus came to rescue us, to restore us, and to forgive us. And he's not done working. Come on, y'all. God is still working, and he will continue to work until everybody has an opportunity to hear who Jesus is and to experience what he can do in your life. Come on, God is working. That's his job. God is working, and that's his job. And so when we navigate this, here's what we need to talk about is that's the plan of God. When God, when you talk about what is God's plan, God's plan is he put this plan in motion to make a way for us to find forgiveness, to find healing, to find restoration, and God is still working. When you read verses that's found in Romans that say things like this, that God is working all things together for good. That's such a great verse. Makes us feel like God is working for us, don't it? But I want you to know this. God isn't working for your plan. God is working for his plan. 
God is working in governments and God is working in our individual detailed lives. God is working at such a level that many of us don't have the ability to comprehend in the finite ability of the human brain. But God is working in every detail and in every decision so people have the opportunity to find out about the goodness of God and to hear the gospel of Jesus. God is working all things together for good. And so God is a part of this plan. So the plan of God is the redemption of people. Peter says it this way, that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come for repentance. God wants everybody. God wants your neighbor. God wants your friends. God wants people in this community. God wants people around this nation. God wants every person of every color, every creed, every tongue, and every, God wants them to hear the gospel of Jesus. That's the plan. Now, he's working and that's great. We got nine to fives and that's great. But here's what we need to talk about for a few minutes is not just the plan of God. We need to talk about this idea that I think is more important than just his plan. It's about the person of God. Who is God? If I was to ask you, talk about who God is, how would you describe him? I think lots of us would probably chime in with different discussions. Well, while your opinion might be great, at the end of the day, God's revealed who he is. We can know God because he's revealed himself through scripture. That's one of the reasons that we read scripture is so you can know who God is. You can know his heart. You can know what he's like. You can know his plan and what he's passionate about. And what's funny is when you read the pages of scripture, God makes himself known some through titles. When you read his names, you figure out part of what makes him who he is. And some of you have experienced it. Some of his names, some of his titles in scripture is that he's Jehovah to sit canoe. Say that three times fast. That's a Hebrew name, which means he's the Lord, our righteousness. That means when we mess up, we still have a maker who covers for us. When we're not good, come on, he's good. He covers our imperfections in his sacrifice. Come on, he's our righteousness. Anybody thankful that he's our righteousness? He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Listen, it's not on the labor of your back. It's in the provision of your God that he meets our needs and he provides for us. That's who he is. He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. He fights our battles and he wins our victories. Come on, is anybody thankful But that's who he is? That's who you can depend on him to be. And so you find out some in his titles. You find out some in just his descriptions, that the God we serve is holy, that he's righteous, that he's merciful to a thousand generations. You find out that the God we serve is just. Who is God? This is who the God is that we serve. Some of the ways we find out who God is is just in his general descriptions. As we read stories, we find out this is the nature of God. This is who he is, that God is omnipotent. God knows everything there is to know. God is, uh, our God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. There's nothing outside of the ability and the capacity of the God we serve. He can do anything for anyone at any time. But there's one thing that I want to talk about, the, the nature of who God is that doesn't get a lot of airtime in churches. In fact, I would challenge to say you've probably never heard this in church, and it's one of the first things we find out about the God we serve, and it's this. God is collaborative. When I say God is collaborative, what I'm telling you is that God's a team player. Come on, when I say you, can be, you don't have to be team Pastor Steve or team Paul or team Apollos, we're all team Jesus. Do you know why? Because the God we serve has a team, and the good news is if you want to be, you get to be on his team. Let's talk about the collaboration of God. When I say God is collaborative, what I mean is, is that God can do anything he wants without you, but he willingly invites us to be a part of the process. When God is collaborative, here's what I mean is God wants to partner with his people, you and I. God wants to partner with his people in his plan of redemption. His plan is to redeem, but the way he does it is in partnership. He wants to use us. 
You find this all the way in the beginning of Scripture, right? God creates everything. God creates time and space. God puts a planet in the middle of the solar system, in the middle of the Milky Way galaxy, the third planet from the sun in a perfect place by intelligent design. Did you know if all of the variables were there, uh, we could not exist on planet Earth, but because we're the right distance from the, at the right tilt with the right magnetic field, with the right size sun, with the right star, with the right size moon, I'm telling you, God is an intelligent designer. Life was able to be here. And after God made life, God put the birds in the air and the fish in the sea and the animals. God did all this stuff, but you know what he did after he did some of it? God made man, but then he said God had the ability to make all mankind, but after he made Adam and Eve, he said, now you be fruitful and multiply. I can fill the earth, but I'm going to collaborate with you and let you help me fill it up. Come on, somebody. That's a good verse to know, man. Tell your wife, it's time to be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) Come on, God did that. Hey, listen, I'm going to partner with you to fill this planet with a population. Did you know it was God who made all of the animals, but then he collaborated with Adam and said, I'll make them, you get to name them. Did you know it was God who made the Garden of Eden, but then he collaborated with Adam and Eve and said, but you get to tend it and keep it and plant it and keep on producing on it. Why? Because God is the collaborating God. God is a teamwork God. And here's the thing is, he doesn't need you, but he chooses to use you. Has anybody here ever had the tragedy of holding a flashlight for your father as a child? Wave at me. I thought this was only me until I saw the meme. And if you've never had this experience, be thankful I remember as a young kid, my dad asked me to come outside and hold the flashlight. And I need counseling today because I held that flashlight. I remember my dad used to scream at me, you don't need to see, I need to see. Hold it still. It's tragic, man. Let's just have a moment of mourning for all of us who had to hold a flashlight for our dad. Here's what's funny is, you know, my dad would oftentimes take us outside as kids and we weren't there just to help him. A lot of times he would teach us things. I was raised, my dad was a, was a mechanic and uh, to have two brothers and my dad invested a lot in us. One of, my oldest brother can fix anything in the planet. He's just stupid smart. He taught us a lot of the same things. And so I've always had the ability to change my own brakes and radiators and water pumps and do tune-ups. And, um, and now it's crazy. I can pay for that stuff, but I'm too cheap. I, like I go out and do it because I can do it, some of it. But I've now passed it on to my son. I'll take my son out to the garage at times, and I've tried to teach him. Now, I've yelled at him. I passed on the generational scars to my kid. He's scarred. Raise my blood pressure, make him cry. Hold the flashlight. But really, I'm taking out in the garage. Think about this. I've taken him out, and I've shown him how to do some things on a car, like how to change brakes. And, you know, this is how you jack a car up. This is how you make sure it's safe. This is how you take the wheel off. This is how you take the caliper off. This is how you take the brake pads off. And this is how you put it all back together. Now, here's what you need to know is I don't need my son to do any of that. I can do all of that on my own. So the question is, if I can do it on my own, why do I take my son out in the garage with me? The reason I take my son with me isn't because I need him. It's because I want him. And while we're out there together, we're building relationship with one another. And number two, I'm pouring value into him. I'm putting him up and I'm setting him up that he doesn't have to depend on other people, but he can do this on his own. You have a heavenly father that can do it without you, but he chooses to be in relationship with you to invite you in and to give you value and purpose. The greatest question on planet earth is why am I here? God says, come and get on my team and you'll find out why you're here. It's not to work your nine and five to get a paycheck. It's to invite you into my purpose. Come on, somebody. That's why we're here is to be on team Jesus, team Jesus, team Jesus. Everybody say that one, two, three, team Jesus. What team are you on? The plan of God is the redemption of people. His business is brokenness. And he says, hey, I'm going to do this thing with or without you. But the good news is I'm inviting you to be on the team. 
I'm inviting you to come and participate in what I'm doing. And I want you to notice this. This is pretty powerful. Second Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes another letter, and I want you to notice what he says. Everybody read those first three words together with me. Shoals, Lawrenceburg, Florence, one, two, three. As God's, there it is. As God's partners. Sometimes the way that the Bible says it is that we are co-laborers with Christ, that we're co-workers with Christ, that we're fellow workmen with Christ, which means, again, it's this idea when God looks at us, when Paul was talking to the church, he says, hey, I'm planting seed, I'm preaching the gospel, and Apollos is watering it, he's coming and he's encouraging people, but at the end of the day, it's God that's changing lives, we're all in this thing together, we're all a part of redemption, so we're fellow partners, we're God's partners, but watch this, as God's partner, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness. Read it with me and then ignore it. You know what he's saying? He's saying God did this for you, but at the end of the day, be careful that you don't open your life up to this, to this good news and then not pass it on. Make sure that when you get it, you make sure everybody else has a chance to get what you got. Is anybody here thankful that someone preached to you, encouraged you, loved you, prayed for you, that you found out who Jesus is? Come on, if anybody's grateful for someone who passed it on, let's show some love. So what Paul is saying, because we've been invited to be on team Jesus, let's make sure we play our part to make sure we pass it on. That's a challenge because what I have found out is we don't always do this real well. What's funny is, as a, again, as a, as a pastor, um, you know, we've, we've done large events. I've been doing larger events for a long time. The large, I use large in the context of the church I'm in, the community I'm in. And when I came here in 2011, just finished, this is officially, officially, last week was 10 years here. When I came, preached my first message in mid-December 2011, the church that was here, there wasn't many of us left, finances weren't good, church had gone through some tumultuous times and they said hey we want you to come and be our pastor and so I preached officially as the pastor for the first time in January uh, 2012 and when I came I thought God what can we do to build the morale of the house people were just showing up discouraged and broken and so we were four months out from Easter I said hey we're going to do a great we're going to do this huge community outreach we're going to do this Easter egg thing. We're not the first people to ever do an Easter egg thing, but at Faith Church, y'all ain't figured it out. We do things at next level. We do things with excellence. So we're going to get together. We're going to do this great community event. And so we planned this event. People got involved. And the day came, and we planned for like, I was hoping like 500 to 1,000 people would show up. We planned for like, we can handle 1,500. And like over 3,000 people showed up, dropped eggs from a helicopter. It was absolute utter chaos. Kids didn't get eggs. Kids got bruised. They got climbed over. When it was over, I just prayed we didn't get sued. Lord, please don't let us get sued. But it was wonderful. Do you know why? Because our church was like, we did that. We had 3,000 people in a field out front of this church. Kids came and had a good time and laughed and enjoyed life. We can do this. And you could see in that moment, it blew fire into our church. And we continue to do events like that. Every year we do, and Easter egg hunts kept getting big. We get 3,000, 4,000. Then we started doing fall festivals, and more people came. And more, the last fall festival we did was probably three, four years ago, and we had like 10,000 people come on campus. There were cars everywhere you could look in Florence. There were cars parked every field, every street. Cars still lined up to get here. It was awesome. here's what's funny is anytime we're in crowds like that, I've always done this. I love to connect with people. 
And so I walk through the crowds as we have hundreds and thousands of guests. And I just walk through, hey, it's good to see you. Hey, man, so good. Hey, and I say this, hey, thanks for coming. Hey, thanks for coming. Hey, man, so glad. Thanks for coming. Now, here's what's funny. At least I think it's funny. A lot of times when I would tell our guests, hey, thanks for coming, do you know what many of them would say? You're welcome. <laughs> now, let me tell you why that's funny. I don't know what the appropriate response is, but we pay for this. We're working this. Like, all you got to do is bring your kids, and all the foods are free, all the games are free, all the prizes are free. It's free. And they're like, well, you're welcome. <laughs> now, I know, what do you expect them to say? I said thanks, but let me flip the script. A lot of times at the end of service, I sit right here in case anybody wants to come and talk, or anybody wants to come and pray. We have lots of elders and leaders that will pray for you or talk to you. But sometimes it's hard to get out of here with a thousand people walking out of this room. So I'll sit right here. But once a month, if you ever see me, once a month I make sure I run out of this room before anybody else leaves and I put myself by a door so I can just love on you and shake your hand and get to know you personally so I'm not just a person on the platform, but I'm close and I'm a person just like you. But here's the difference. When I get the opportunity to go outside, I say the same thing to our serve team, to our volunteers. Hey, thanks for serving. Hey, thanks for serving. Hey, thanks for being a greeter. Thanks so much for loving our kids. I see people wearing our kids' shirts. Hey, thanks so much for loving our kids and raising our kids. Thanks so much for working in the nursery. And you know what never happens? While people from the community show up and I'm glad they come and I say, hey, thanks for coming to our event. They always say, you're welcome. I've never had one time someone who on our serve team say, you're welcome, Pastor. You know what they say? Pastor, no, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of the team. Man, being a part of this team has changed my life, man. Now I work the week because I can't wait to get here Sunday. Do you know why? Because they're doing what they do, many of them throughout the week for a paycheck. And when they show up on Sunday, they found a passion, something I make a difference on. Do you know why? Because that's what being a part of Team Jesus is. I find I matter. I find I'm a part of something bigger than me. Come on, somebody. That's our call is to be a part of something that's big. And so here at Faith Church, one of our core values, because again, that's what this series is about, is about reaching people, reaching people. One of the ways we say it here is that found people find people. If someone made sure you was found, you owe it to someone else to make sure they can be found. And we do that as a church through our core value reach. We express that through every week. We try to make sure we have an incredible service. We do large events throughout the year, big services, hashtag love mom, dad fest. We call them our big five. If you ever want our big five, hashtag love mom, dad fest, God at the box office, Christmas and Easter, and we pack this place out. What we're trying to do is to create an environment where you can bring your friends and your family members, where they will sit in a relevant environment. They will hear a message that makes sense to their everyday life, and they will hopefully have an encounter to open up their hearts and join Team Jesus. We want to reach people. But I want you to know it's not just our job to reach your friends and family. You should be sharing your story. You might say, Pastor, I don't know if I can tell them everything. Listen, you don't need to tell them all the scripture, but you can tell them your story. Because if you'll tell people how God's changed your life, that will open them up to find the answers because they want life change too. So we're reaching people. Everybody say reach. I wonder what we can do in 2022 to reach more people than we've ever reached. Three years ago, we planted a campus in Lawrenceburg because we want to reach Middle Tennessee. Now we have a brand new $6 million building that's being packed out each and every week. 
in just a few short months, we're getting ready to launch Shoals Campus. Why? Why are we buying another building? Because we want to reach more people on that side of the river. Why? Because we want to reach people. We want to reach people. We want to crowd heaven. When it's all said and done, when this world explodes, when this earth collapses, when everything is finished and eternity begins to happen, I want to make sure that we've reached every single person, that we want every person we can. We want to make sure we've joined Team Jesus to do our part, to reach to the ends of the earth, that every person has the opportunity to know what God has done for them. We want to reach. And one of the ways that we reach here is through our Kingdom Builders Initiative. Kingdom Builders Initiative enables us through your generosity to reach literally around the world. People who are thirsty, we dig wells. People who are hungry, we feed them. Women who are uh, trapped as sexual slaves, we're part of organizations that free them. We're part of organizations that train the next generation of pastors that build Bible colleges. We're part of people who are preaching the gospel in Guatemala, in Honduras, who are providing medical services, who are making sure people hear about who Jesus is. That's happening because of your generosity. Last year, we gave more than we've ever given to missions. Over three quarter of a million dollars came in way above our tithe. It was, I'm telling you, Donna, so I don't, I don't mess with the finances here. I'm not a part of that. But when a big check comes in, Donna will send me back. It's like, look at this. I'm telling you, we've had so, every time a check comes in, I'm like, this is so crazy. It's like money is flooding into this place. Y'all ought to be excited that God is blessing this house. I'm telling you, it's crazy. We bought a building. I bought this building by faith. God already paid for the building. Building's already paid for. <laughs> Y'all ought to be excited about that. It's already paid for. Why, man? I believe God's like, hey, you're team Jesus. I'm team Faith Church. Let's do this thing together. Let's be co-laborers for Christ. Let's, let's co-work together. Let's, let's get the job done. Here's what I'm asking you to do today. Is I'm asking you to consider, if you've never been a part of Kingdom Builders, today's your day to get on board. Help us because this is about your P's and Q's. As you evaluate your life, are you doing what matters? Are you paying attention to the details? Are you team you? For team Jesus, let's build his kingdom. What I'm asking you to do today is three things. We have to be careful here because what I have found out for all of us is oftentimes we demote God to our employment instead of promoting to his employment. Come on, you know what it's like. We get saved, we come into a relationship with God, and then we have this to-do list for God. We got this job description. God, I need you to find me a spouse. I need, you to, I need you to help me to succeed. I need you to bless my finances. I need you to heal my friend. I want you to know something. God is willing to do all of that, but God isn't doing what he's doing for you. Y'all hear it? It's not that he doesn't love you, but what God wants to do is, and he, he cares about you, and he cares about our struggles and our hurts and our heartaches and our challenges. Pleases the heart of your heavenly father when you cry out to him. But when God shows up, it's not because he's working for you. And when God comes through, it's not because he's on your payroll. God isn't really doing it to you. God is doing it for you so he can do something through you. God is giving you the good news so you can give other people the good news. So the greatest thing that can ever happen is not God show up in your life and do something for you. It's for God to show up in your life and do something through you. And so, Team Jesus. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three, Team Jesus. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to do one of three, one, all three of these three things. Number one, I'm asking you to be an inviter. Every single Sunday, make it your mission to bring somebody with you. I refuse to come alone. I'm going to talk to the store clerk, and I'm going to tip my waitress well so they want to go where I'm at. I'm going to invite my friends, my family, family members, my coworkers, my cousins, my homeboys, my homegirls, my rider dies, people I don't even like anymore, my neighbors. Bring somebody with you. Let's do this thing together. Number two, 
I'm asking you to share your story with people. Be people who reach people. Found people, find people. Just look for opportunities. Don't be the crazy person that carries a sign and lay a track everywhere. If you do, don't do it with Faith Church's name on it. Don't be crazy. Truth is transmitted best through relationship. People you know, people you're in relationship, have a conversation. Hey, man, can I say what God's doing in my life? Number one, bring people. Number two, share your story. And number three, I'm challenging you today to be a kingdom builder. You can do that in Lawrenceburg and Shoals and right here in Florence or all nine, two different ways. There's a QR code on the screen. You can take a picture of that. That will take you to a form or you can text the keyword KBFC, KBFC. It stands for Kingdom Builders Faith Church, KBFC to 97,000. That also will take you to a form where you can give us just your basic information and you commit a pledge for 2022 for us together to partner together with God to do more than we have ever done to reach this world. And here's why we're asking for pledges. You can just give or not give or however you decide to do it. But if you give a pledge, first of all, you're setting a bar for yourself. You're setting a place to say, hey, God, will you help me do this? And I just believe you can do more when you set a pledge. Written goals are more easily achieved than unwritten goals. Lots of, lots of science to show that. So you, instead of saying, hey, I think I can do 500 next year and that might sound like a lot for you. Hey, I'm gonna do $20 a week. Well, that's over $1,000. I used to tell you, if every family in this church gives $1,000, we'll do more than we've ever done to reach the world for Jesus. And so I'm asking today, possibly before you leave, or maybe you need to have a conversation or check over your finances above your tithe, will you partner together with us to do more for Kingdom Builders than we've ever done? Again, you can use those, either the QR code or the keyword KBFC. You can do it in Lawrenceburg Shoals or here in Florence. And let's do more than we've ever done for Team Jesus. How many people want to reach this world and crowd heaven? Come on, this, I, I don't know how to do it, but I want to reach this world and I want to crowd heaven. Father, we thank you, Lord, for everything you've done to reach us. God, that we can show up and we get to worship the God who saved us. We get to hear about the God who wants to use us. Lord, you're still working. You're not done yet. Jesus, you said it yourself that we need to work until night comes. There's a time coming that no one can work. And so, Father, help us feel some of that pressure and that priority, God, to get the job done while we can do it. And so, Lord, I pray, God, will you inspire us to share our story with what you've done in our lives. God, will you give open doors and opportunities and conversations to talk about your goodness? God, will you show us friends we need to invite, people we need to ask to participate and to come and join us for an incredible morning at Faith Church? And God, I pray over all of our campuses, over all of the people, God, what you said, that God, we wouldn't take this gift and then neglect it. God, help us to partner with you around the world. God, I pray that you would compel us to be givers through generosity. Help us as a church to reach beyond ourselves and do more than we've ever done. God, help us, help us to be generous through kingdom builders. And Father, we love you. We thank you for all of it. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we give God some praise today?